the Shunammite woman, uh, the, the spelling is different depending whose look, words you look at. So this is the spelling that I've uh, 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 finalised on anyway. Uh, so we're in 2 Kings in chapter 4. We'll read um, from verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look, now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it'll be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunamite woman. Shunamite, sorry, got me M's and N's around the wrong way. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, You've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he called her. He said, he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, don't lie to me, your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son. And when the the appointed time had come, of which Elijah had told her, Elisha had told her, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he had said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to the servant, drive and go forward. Don't slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask for a son, my Lord? Did I not say, don't deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on his face, the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. 
And he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called to her. And when she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Turn over to chapter 8. Just a few verses there. Verse 1. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son had, he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman rose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field. Now from the day that she left the land until now, then Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. So, we have the story of Elisha and this woman, the Shunammite woman, one of the nameless women of the Bible. And the text gives us very little detail about her. Not much at all can we find out. We know that she was from Shunem, a small village on the road from Jerusalem towards the north of Israel. It was in the middle of the journey from north to south. We also know that it was in the territory of Issachar, and she was probably a member of that tribe. Thirdly, we're told she was a well-to-do woman, which meant she, she was one of the wealthier and more noble members of the village. It seems her husband was a lot older than her. And even though they had land and wealth, um, because it tells us that her husband was bringing in the harvest with his servants, despite that fact, they had no children. They had no inheritance to pass on. They couldn't pass down the family name. And that was a, a, a thing of shame and difficulty within the culture of the time. That you wanted to pass on what you had and you wanted your name to be a memorial that would go down the family line. That you needed land and that you needed descendants. And so they, they had no way of passing on their family line. But this wealthy couple, this noble couple, used their resources instead to extend hospitality to passers-by. And in Elisha's case, this became a regular thing as he journeyed around the country exercising his prophetic ministry. So much so that they built an extension to their house, especially for his use. We've got an extension being built out the back of us at the moment. It's going from a three-bedroomed house to a massive great mansion. I don't know how they're fitting it in. 
I'm sure it's not for passers-by who are bringing a prophetic ministry. <laughs> in fact, the guy works in Saudi Arabia, so I'm sure it's, it's, it's being used for, for, for the benefit of their own family. But these people who had lots of money, they built an extension on their house so that the man of God would have somewhere to come and rest as he was traveling around the country. It was a kind and generous act. And then that narrative gives no indication that they were expecting a reward for his action, for this action. They were simply acting with kindness and hospitality as was fitting in their culture. And the scripture is extremely specific. I think it's fabulous. In verse 10 it says, they didn't just build an extension. It contained a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. Very, very specific. All that Elisha would need for rest, study and prayer as he stopped off on his journey from north to south in Israel. One day, when she was thinking about the trouble she had gone to for him, or when he was thinking, when Elisha was thinking about it, he called the woman to him and asked her whether he could use his influence at court. Can I speak to the king on your behalf? How about one of the generals? They can do you some favor. They can look after you. They can perhaps give you a bit more land. And the woman said, don't need it. She wasn't expecting a reward. She was just serving as, as her heart uh, led her. And she responded by telling him she didn't really need anything. But in communication with his servant Gehazi, Elisha hit upon the idea of prophesying the birth of a son. Her reaction to this is interesting in verse 16. And then he said, about this time next year you shall embrace a son. And she said, no my lord, man of God, don't lie to your maidservant or don't deceive me. Don't, don't give me false hope is what she's saying. Clearly she'd come to terms with her childlessness, but she was carrying the pain of it in her heart. She didn't want to, to enter again into false hope. However, did God did look with favour upon her for her faithful service and rewarded her with a son within a year. We now fast forward very suddenly a few years in the narrative to an incident when the boy had grown up a little. We don't know how old he is, but the scene is set, with the father working in the fields, bringing in the harvest alongside his servants. And the boy goes out to see his father, and he's watching as the work is being done. In our day, it's it's little boys going out to watch the tractors going up and down, or the combine harvesters. Hmm? Boys seem to have an obsession with anything that's, that's a, a motor or a, or a vehicle. But, <laughs> says the engineer. But in those days, obviously, it was all manual labor. So the, the boy's going out to watch the harvest being brought in. And as he's out there, he's obviously out too long. And it would appear he gets sunstroke and passes out. And the father sends him home with one of the servants, but it's too late. He's been overexposed to the sun and he dies in his mother's arms. What tragedy she must have felt. What, what sense of pain and loss. This child that she had longed for and given up hope for, that, that God had gifted her with. Suddenly she's there with him in her arms and he dies. The worst, woman's worst fears when she was promised a son have been realized. The hope that she thought she would never have had has been snatched from her. The son that she had seized 
ceased to long for but had received was now gone in an instant. What grief, what despair must have filled her heart at that moment. But it's interesting, she didn't give up. The word of God that gave her a child had come from Elisha and so to Elisha she travelled. I'm sure she had no idea what could be done. I'm sure she didn't anticipate that the child could be raised from the dead. She turned to the one who had brought her solace in her childlessness in the hope that he could intervene for her again. For each one of us, when we have no one else to hope in, we can still hope in God. He's the one who can change circumstances. He's the one who can miraculously intervene in our hopeless situations. He may not always bring resurrection, but he will always bring comfort and solace, even life out of death. While we trust in God, there's always hope, even in the most hopeless of situations. See, this woman didn't stay in her grief. The culture would have expected her just to go into mourning, dress in black, and just accept the situation. This woman didn't accept the, the, the seeming hopelessness, but she did something about it. We too can choose to stay in the misery of our difficulties, or we can seek God. And that's not always easy in the circumstances, but it's the only way we can rise above our situation and see God's intervention. Trust in God no matter what you're going through. He's greater than the circumstances and he will bring you through. Trust in God. And I love the response when she gives, that she gives to Elisha. When Elisha sends the servant to find out. When she's in the distance, he sends Gehazi to find out if she's okay. And she replies, it is well. It is well with my soul. It's that sense of, yes, it's not well, but I'm in the right place because I'm seeking God. It is well. Despite her expression of faith, though, when she gets to Elijah, there is an outpouring of her heart. She just pours it out before him. And we can always be honest with God about how we feel about our circumstances. If it's hurting, we can tell him it's hurting. If it's difficult, we can tell him it's difficult. He's big enough to to take it. He won't reject us just because we're honest with him. Lord, I really don't know why you're doing this in my life. I really don't know why this is happening. God's big enough to take it. We need just to be honest with him. To pour it out. To let him hear what's in here. Not hold it back. He wants us to express how we feel. Because then he can touch us at our point of need. Throughout the Psalms we see David's honest outpourings. Sometimes they're pleading for vengeance on on his enemies. And I'm sure sometimes we feel like that. Lord, burn them down. (laughs) And the Lord says, "Mm, got better plans for them. Sometimes David is simply pouring out his love for God. But at all times, there is raw honesty to his expression. However you're feeling, don't hold back from talking to God about it. He's big enough to bear with our grumpiness and our grief. In response to her heartfelt expression, 
Elisha commands Gehazi to run with his staff to the child. I think that's quite impressive. He's fully clothed, in the heat of the day, carrying a staff. On a hot day... No, it's not that slight. On a hot day, when the child's just had sunstroke and died, I think he's better off than us who were doing the 10K in the heat last week. I'm very impressed with this run. I wonder what time he did. (laughs) I did 59.02. And you did (laughs) 59.09. But that's, it's fine. We weren't competing. Anyway... Gehazi goes running off, fully clothed, with the staff in his hand. And he gets to the child. And he lays the the, the staff on the child. And guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) A dead piece of wood cannot bring life to a dead boy. Hmm? But soon Elisha, Elisha arrives. And I have to say, he has a very strange technique of healing. He lays down, face down on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. It reminds me of some of the stories of Smith, Smith Wigglesworth. You, you heard some of those stories. Like taking a dead body and throwing it up against the wall, and then it falls down. So he takes it again, throws it up against the wall. And the third time, he takes it and throws it up against the wall. And on the third time, the body comes back to life. Not the kind of healing technique that I would necessarily want to be using. <laughs> well, Elisha doesn't quite do that, but he does lay himself out on this child. Obviously, the revelation of the Lord. And it seems he's trying to warm up the body. But it's only God who can impart life. And suddenly the boy sneezes seven times. Sneeze, of course, is the indicator that there is breath, that the spirit had returned to him. And he was brought back to life. And Elisha takes the boy and he calls the mother and he gives her back, gives back the boy um, to, to his mother. And her response is to bow to the ground It was an act of submission, an act of thankfulness. This is the place of surrender. And when we see God intervene in our circumstances, do we respond in such a way? Do we surrender ourselves back to him in gratitude for all that he's done? I was reading this week. I was reading this week in Luke 17 concerning the healing of the ten lepers. And in the story, ten are healed, but only one, a Samaritan at that, returns to thank Jesus for healing them. Do we take God's actions on our behalf for granted? Are we forever grateful for all that he does for us? See, even the breath we have, even every breath we take, we can only breathe because God allows it and ordains it to be so. Everything we have is only from his hand. Every moment of every day is a gift of God. Are we thankful to him? Do we have a thankful heart? Do we have an attitude of gratitude towards our great God? 
This woman pours out her gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done through Elisha. Now there's a PS in this story. As we read in chapter 8. At some stage Elisha decreed a seven year famine over the land of Israel. In response to their continued disobedience to the covenant. And he goes to the Shunammite woman. And he advises her to leave the land with her son. And go to a place where there was food. There is no mention of her husband in this passage. Even though he's there in the picture. Um, And considering he was a lot older, we can probably assume by this moment he was dead. She and her family journey to Philistia for the duration of the famine, leaving their land behind uncultivated. But then on returning, she goes to the king to plead for the return of her land. And the land is so important, as I mentioned at the beginning. Within the culture, land remained the property of the person who owned it. And if it was deserted for a period the person could claim it back when they came back. However, in order to exercise that right, it sometimes required legal intervention. And land was crucial because it was the chief source of income for a family. If you didn't have land, you had no means of income. Without land, they would perish, or they would have to hire themselves to other people as slaves or servants. When the people of Israel had entered the promised land, they were each apportioned some property so that each family could provide for themselves and would not have to become a slave or servant. And it was for this ancient small holding that the woman was pleading. This was the land that had been given by Joshua to their family. This was the land that was their heritage. But she was pleading that the king would give it back, restore it to them. But the timing of her plea is perfect. In the purposes of God. It occurred just at that same time as Gehazi was telling the king, all the the, the King Joram, all the miracles that he'd seen Elisha perform. And particularly the raising of the woman's son. And here's the woman. Here's the son. He's the one who was dead. And he's back to life. And she verifies the events. And she's given favor by the king. Her plea is accepted. Her land is restored. Now what can we learn from this story? How can this woman help us in our discipleship journey? Firstly, she and her husband are a picture of New Testament hospitality. At the start of the narrative we see them opening up their homes to passers-by and especially to Elisha without any thought of reward. And the New Testament has much to say about hospitality. It even suggests that in offering hospitality, some have have entertained angels without realizing it. It says that in Hebrews 13.2. God wants us to be a hospitable people. Not just because we get that in return, that I invite you, so you invite me. But just to have open homes where people can come and find solace and find restoration and find um, uh, food for, for nourishment. We're to be in a, ho- a hospital for people and not just for each one another, for all who come across our path. That's the encouragement of the New Testament. And God never ignores such faithful service. I believe many will receive rewards on the day of reckoning who would de- be deemed lowly just because, but he would, they will receive because of their open heart and their willingness to serve. We can often judge by the world's standards. 
In the Christian world, there's quite a celebrity culture. And we can look with awe at the great preachers or the songwriters. And that's not to say they won't receive a reward, but I believe God is not interested in our profile as much as he is our heart. And his reward and honor scale is different to ours. And I believe we can all learn from the attitude shown by this woman and her husband. They knew how to serve faithfully, offering kindness out of their substance without thought of reward. And we can do the same. It's an open heart. It's a heart to give to all. Secondly, in this narrative, we have the double theme of promise, loss and restoration. This is repeated in the narrative, firstly, in respect of the son and secondly, in respect of the land of this woman. As we've said, within the context, there were two things that any Israelite had um, with respect to to their inheritance. It was about land and sons. Land guaranteed the future continued income and wealth of the family. Sons guaranteed the continued line of the family. In this story, we began with the threat of the loss of the family line. There are no sons to carry the inheritance. But God intervenes to grant them that crucial element. However, when it all seems to be going well, the son is snatched from them. And it seems that their heritage has been lost. But God intervenes again to restore it to them. With respect to the land, they begin with much, but lose it all as they flee from the famine. And even though they begin the story wealthy, they return from Philistia with nothing and no guarantees that they will receive their inheritance back. However, once more, God intervenes and all that they've lost in terms of land is restored to them. Our God is a God of restoration. There is nothing that we have lost that he cannot restore. There is nothing that life can take from us that he cannot redeem. There is no situation irredeemable. When we were at the leaders' conference, we were, uh, there was a speaker from Virginia Beach in America. And there was two situations in his life of loss. One, he'd suffered from, um, which cancer was it? He suffered from cancer and he'd recovered and then he'd, he'd gone into cancer again. And the second time he'd been dramatically healed through to the prayers of his people. He'd suffered loss and he'd been restored. But then the other part of his story was the fact that his young daughter, his daughter who had grown up in the church at 18, got in with the wrong crowd and ended up in drugs and prostitution. And she was away from the faith for, for over 10 years. And then one day, God restored her and brought her back. And she's been completely restored into the life of the church. And God is able to restore in the direst situation. And I I believe that's the heart of the message that I wanted to get across this morning. God can restore. It doesn't matter how difficult and how, how seemingly impossible it is from a human perspective. God is able to intervene. He's able to change. He's able to, 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 to um, step in and draw back that which is his. He's able to restore out of the direst situation. And so no matter what the situation we might be facing, whether it's a lost one, 
Maybe it's somebody, one of our children, who've gone away from faith. Maybe it's a, a, um, a situation of health. Maybe somebody's robbed you of something. God is able to restore it. God is a God of restoration. God is able to redeem that which is lost. And I would encourage you, if you're in that situation, if there's anything, come back to him. Plead before him. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him how you feel. And call upon him to restore that which is lost. He can restore us physically in healing through his stripes that Jesus bore on the cross. He's a God who loves to restore that which has been lost. And I want to encourage you this morning, whatever you've lost, God is able to restore it. Come to him honestly, just as the Shunammite woman did. And see if he will not respond to your pleas. It may not be immediate. It may take time. But our God is a God who loves to restore that which is lost. Amen. Let's pray and then um, I invite the... the, uh, team up to to lead us in a song father we thank you that you are a god of restoration and i pray lord god that whatever we might be facing today you will encourage us you will stir that faith within us to believe that you are able to restore you are able to redeem and you can lord god bring life where there is no life i pray your blessing upon us and i pray lord god that you will walk with us through this week in all the circumstances we face For the sake of your kingdom and your glory. Amen.